the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, uh, once again, the uh, the J One League served up some huge surprises and some uh, some wonderful games over the weekend. And uh, well, we wouldn't have it any other way. No, of course not. Yeah, it was another good weekend. Um, thought some fantastic goals, some still dodgy goalkeeping, but yeah, overall very good weekend. And uh, we said farewell to one of the best players before coming into the J League. Maybe you can argue his impact on what I'm sure we will do. But yeah, it was a good scene at the end and that celebration for Andrews and Yester. So overall, yeah, a really good weekend in the J League. Indeed, and uh, you've had uh, quite a response to your announcement last week about uh, leaving Football Radar and moving on to Pastors New. I know that was, uh, um, yes, made an impression on you. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to thank everybody for all their messages across Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever it might have been. Yeah, a wonderful response. Very overwhelming, really. But yeah, thank you uh, to everyone, and I'll try and do my best while I'm still here and to keep hopefully entertaining, or at least being somewhat informative. Absolutely. We wouldn't have it any other way, mate. And, uh, well, I can't imagine what's going to happen after, uh, well, next week's my last show for about five or six weeks uh, uh, before I take my kids back to Australia. So um, I can't imagine how Twitter's just going to go into meltdown at the prospect of me not being around uh, for that length of time. But uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And uh, before we move on, uh, we better welcome in our guest. Yes, as uh, Sam mentioned off the top, uh, the weekend was uh, dominated by uh, one man, at uh, the Nova Stadium uh, on Saturday night. And, uh, well, our guest, of course, was uh, was there to see it all happen in the flesh. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to Alan Gibson from jsoccer.com and uh, jsoccer magazine. Alan, uh, welcome back to the podcast, and how are you? Thank you, gentlemen. I'm fine. And, yeah, Iniesta was basically the, the second biggest event of the uh, the last week or so, wasn't it, after Sam? <laughs> after Sam. <laughs> It was quite interesting a couple of nights ago and uh, a packed stadium and uh, I mean, people were there hours before and of course they stayed hours after. Um, There's a ceremony at the end and uh, people had to wait for that as well. And then uh, I went into San Amir and uh, that's sorry, that's the central Kobe area. Uh, the Consadoli fans couldn't go home, of course, because it was so late. So the little fans were around, the Consadoli fans were around. It was, it was like a party from about four o'clock onwards. That's great. So we'll uh, we'll chat about the game um Alan, and what that means for Kobe's the title hopes off the top. And then I guess we can go into a, a kind of a, bro- a broader picture discussion about Iniesta's time uh, in the J-League and the impact that he's had on Kobe and, uh, to some respects, the league as a whole. So, um, yeah, checking today, I make it the the biggest crowd in Iniesta's uh, five full years at the Novo Stadium, uh, the biggest home league crowd I'm referring to, of uh, 27,000. 630 of course um yeah a certain thing called corona happened for a couple of years and meant that uh, that attendance was uh, never going to be touched but uh, yeah the the biggest crowd at the Novio stadium for a league match since uh, basically the end of the 2018 season and uh, yeah they were there to see uh, the, the farewell to Andres Iniesta he was uh, handed a start his first of the season and uh, lasted almost an hour, but um, well, yeah, I think as Sam kind of referenced, his uh, his legs are uh, obviously not what they once were, and he's not at his um, anywhere near his peak. We've known that for a long time, of course. But um, I don't know, did he shine at all for you, Alan? Were there a few glimpses here and there of uh, he still had a, a little uh, glint in his eye on Saturday? No, 
in a nutshell. I was uh, very, uh, uh, the fact that he was starting was very surprising. I wasn't sure that uh, um, manager Yoshida had obviously um, overridden his uh, his big boss, Mr. Mikitani's uh, hopes quite often in the last uh, year or so, because uh, Vissel Kobe have obviously, as we've seen, looked much better without Eniesta on the field. Um, but but when he has come on for 20 minutes or so now and again, he, he was he was quite uh, magical at times. And of course, uh, early last season and the season before when he, he was he was feeding Furuhashi with all those balls. I mean, we did see some magic from the little magician. Um, so when he was starting on uh, Saturday, I, I figured that um, it, it had to be he had to go one way or the other. And, um, he would show a bit of magic in his last game and give his all. But um, Considole were excellent. The, the basically, you know, whenever he had the ball, there was, there was three men closing in on him, and one of them was kicking him from behind. And, and the referee was actually uh, the Qatari referee was um, very uh, shall we? Well, he wasn't Japanese, shall we say? I mean, he uh, he allowed lots of physical contact and quite a few fouls. Uh, usually, when the ball was was kept by the foul the team he played a lot of advantage uh, it seemed to, to many i suppose that he was ignoring fouls perhaps but i i could see that he was obviously playing as much advantage as he could which uh, probably went against iniesta because he didn't get all the calls that he, he should have had and could have had um so i think uh, the tactics against vissel kobe helped Considole a lot uh, they obviously knew what to do and who to do and and um that uh, made sure that andres uh, had very very little time on the ball and I don't think we saw any magic in the game um, when he did come off on the well just before the hour mark I think it was uh, I actually stood up among the press and gave him a, and then I realized I was the only one standing up which was surprisingly sad but, but um, uh, yeah I think um, it was as I said it was a surprise that he started and I think in the long run um, the fans will have loved it and we can discuss the fans and his service to Vissel Kobe next but on the day um, this all might be uh, ruining the fact that they put Osaka on the bench and uh, started with Iniesta because I think he he didn't show anything in his last game and I think he was very sad and uh, he knew that he didn't didn't do it justice shall we say and uh, but um, in the end it was it was his day and uh, he you know the fans got what they wanted and he he got the big sayonara and um, well let's let's discuss his career because Saturday was probably something to forget. Indeed. Well, yeah, we'll come on to that. Uh, Sam, I mean, you, you tweeted it. Yeah. Um, starting in Iesta, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, we can argue who's ultimately made that decision. But I mean, yeah, when it means benching your top scorer, Yuya Osako, it's, uh, it's a head scratching decision, considering, as we said, he hadn't started all season. I think he'd played under 20 minutes in his previous uh, three league appearances. So um, it was asking a lot of him to begin with, and then, yeah, once you take Osako out of the team, that obviously affects uh, pretty much everything that uh, Kobe are going to try and do going forward. Well, it just didn't make any sense, because there was no need to drop Osaka as well. Why didn't Iniesta just come in for Sasaki and then still play Osaka with Muto wide? Because I don't know why they made the two changes. Jean Patrick also came in on the mm. right-hand side, and he kind of completely went away from everything that Kobe had been doing so well this season in terms of that pressing. When you bring in Iniesta and John Patrick, who were not as good at pressing as the players that um, they were replacing, Sasaki and Osaka, so it completely altered the game plan for Kobe. I thought it allowed Sapporo in in that first half. They were the better team. And so, yeah, it was all very, very strange. I wonder in hindsight if maybe the decision could have been made, play that Barcelona game 
at the Neuvera Stadium, get that as a massive crowd, that could have been the perfect send-off for Iniesta. Instead of compromising a league, a league game where they were in a massive battle for the title race and they can't afford to be playing a weakened team, as it was really, unfortunately, with Iniesta in this game, and they're dropping points. So, yeah, very, very strange. And, yeah, I just I don't get the decision to drop Osaka as well. There's absolutely no need. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll uh, yeah we'll come on to the action on the pitch. Either side of the twenty minute mark, there was a uh, terrific saves at either end. Takanori Sugano denied the previously mentioned Jean Patrick, and then up the other end, Daya Maikawa repelled a fierce Yuya Asano shot. But uh, three minutes later, well, this was, this evening was all about Iniesta, of course, and the J League social media team were uh, all over this occasion pretty much all week. But uh, they will have uh, yeah their hearts will have been filled with joy, Alan, when another uh, player they enjoy uh, getting behind, the Super Choc Sarachat, half-volleyed Sapporo into the lead in the 26th minute after uh, Maikawa pushed away a Takuro Kaneko cross, a Super Choc making his uh, second straight league start and uh, repaid Misha Petrovic's faith with a, uh, yeah, a well-controlled shot from uh, just inside the penalty spot. Indeed, I, I'm I'm the person who probably loves Thai players more than anyone. I, I'm Tiraton, Chanatit. They're all they're all good friends and old friends from before they even came to Japan. And I uh, I think I've tweeted a picture of uh, Super Chuck carrying a, a J Soccer magazine about five years ago too, when he was about 19. So I am all for the Thai players, but uh, the the what the, the J League English account getting so so much behind them is, I mean and Iniesta too it's it's almost been irritating this week but um, yeah Super Chuck um, I was surprised um, and again Iniesta was the surprise start but Super Chuck was also a pleasant surprise for me I was actually wearing my uh, my Thailand national team polo shirt um, which I usually wear because it's sort of kind of neutral you know there's no no teams can complain that I'm wearing a Reds or a Flugels or something old or uh, so I'm, I'm wearing that, and I, you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that Superchuck would be starting. So uh, I was quite happy, and uh, it was very nice to see him uh, score a goal. Um, I spoke to him after, and um, I asked him in particular about how was it, you know, to play with Iniesta or against Iniesta. And I pointed out one point where on the touchline he managed to get into Iniesta and almost shoved him off the ball onto the floor, and he must have enjoyed that. And he literally he said, Iniesta has been my idol for many years. And uh, it was incredible to to be on the same pitch with him, and really amazing. And he was like, he was looking for the the uh, the English words because we were speaking in English. Um, we left this translator behind, and uh, he, he he was he, he was wrapped, as we would say in English. He was literally over the moon that he managed to get to play against Iniesta, and in his final game too. So to score as well and spoil the party, he was. <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, it was it was a good. Um, I'm, as, the, as I said, the J League uh, account must have been really. Uh, I'm trying to think of the polite word. Uh, no. <laughs> Over the moon, shall we say, with uh, the fact that Iniesta started and Superjog had scored, and it was good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Sam, we said um, earlier on in the season that yeah, he he might be able to push for a start here or there, and um, yeah, he's he's well and truly repaid Misha Petrovic's faith, as you said, a second straight league start, and. Um, yeah, with uh, with Ogashiwa out, um, still out injured, then uh, yeah, I guess there's a spot uh, open up, and he's uh, he must have done enough in training for uh, for Petrovic to to want to give him a chance and reward him for his his hard work in training and his impressive performances off the bench. And uh, there you go, he's repaid him. 
Yeah, I mean, he's always looked good whenever he's come on. We've always said that. And uh, it's just uh, a few players that he has to get past. Obviously, his injury obviously helps. Alki's out as well. He was top scorer last season. They've had other injuries to Yuki Kobayashi. So, yeah, a few things have gone his way to get into the side. But whenever he's played, he's done very well. Obviously, uh, helped out here by a pretty dreadful goalkeeping. It wasn't the first time Mike Carroll had come flying out and not really got to one of the crosses. They really targeted that at the start. But, yeah, Super Chucky was... Uh, alert it was a good finish good control and Jerry played very well as well it's not necessarily up front it's not necessarily his favoured position I think he wants to be a little bit more withdrawn but the way that Sapporo play they interchange so well there and there's such good movement and he fits in perfectly and uh, yeah that's one of the things that Petrovic has he kind of manages to coach players that can come in and play in various different positions we saw Daiki Suga back at centre back in this game so various players can play wherever you want to put them in Petrovic and yes our attractive Super Chuck, sorry, has uh, really bought into that and, uh, yeah, reaping the rewards now that he's got his opening. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, yeah, uh, Osako came on at half time but replaced uh, Koya Yuruki. And then finally, uh, yeah, Iniesta was replaced, as we said, just before the hour by Daiju Sasaki. And, um, yeah, Kobe went in search of their equaliser, although they were, uh, yeah, fortunate not to go. 2-0 down after a uh, mishit shot by Asano 20 minutes after the break. It looked like it was going to trickle over the line before Maikawa scrambled back to pour it away pretty much off the line. But, um, yeah, Osako headed wide. They finally got their equaliser with the five minutes left when uh, Mateus Tula headed in a real Hatsase corner. But the visitors almost won it in the 93rd minute when uh, Daihachi Okamura sent a brilliant header from a Yuki Kobayashi cross onto the bar. But, uh, yeah, it finished 1-1, Alan. And, um, yeah, on the balance of play, how, how did you feel the, the result uh, panned out then? Was it, uh, were, uh, yeah, I mean, Sapporo were, uh, as we know, very entertaining. Uh, they're uh, hit and miss oftentimes in defensive terms, but you know what you're going to get from them in terms of they're always going to come at you. And they certainly didn't disappoint in that regard, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, overall, from a Kobe perspective, which is why we've got you on, of course, um, uh, a frustrating couple of points to drop in the title race. But uh, as we said, it could have even been worse in stoppage time. Indeed. I think uh, on the, the chances that you, certainly the chances that you'll see in the highlights and the ones that we've discussed now, Considoli could have got another couple of goals. But, you know, we mentioned John Patrick and one excellent save, but then two completely wasted chances. One slide, another one sliding in where he just missed the ball. Um, I, I get, I have the feeling that if it, if it was Sasaki or Yuruki had stayed on or or almost Eno, I love Nanase Eno, he's finally coming back to, to fitness for Vissel Kobe too. I, I, I think that almost any other player would have scored a hat-trick in that game. Um, you know, on the balance of play, uh, certainly when you see the highlights, people will say, oh, Consolo could have won that. But I, I really think Vissel Kobe should have won it even, even before half-time and some of the chances. But Patrick just... He said, well, the one goal he should have scored was saved brilliantly, but the other two shots that he had, I mean, the very unselfish Muto in particular would have just slipped it to, to come some guy coming into the edge of the area and there's a goal there. But he elected to go on his own twice more. Um, and it's it's a very not visa. I mean, we know that. I mean, we saw it last week. Uh, Muto's incredible work. I mean, he scored two goals out of it as well, as far as I remember. But um, his, his layback when he could have had a shot. Um, 
was typical of Vissel, and I think Jean Patrick was not a typical Vissel player on Saturday, and um, he, he, him starting made the difference. So, for for me, uh, I feel that uh, Considole were excellent, as you said. They, they, they play so many different players in different positions. Misha Petrovic has them drilled to uh, literally. They can, you know, if Sugar's playing at left defence and suddenly you can these on the right wing and then T- so Tanaka has moved over to the middle and then somebody from left wing is covering him right back I mean these guys it's automatic they just if there's a gap they fill it and it's brilliant and and uh, they they did what they were doing well you know we, we know that they're uh, rough in defence sometimes because they attack so much but in, in this game they really were I mean at times they were like six men in the area at, at times uh, making sure that um, Vissel didn't score and Considole parked the bus a few times which is very unusual for them so for me I think chance on the chances that should have been taken especially if Don Patrick wasn't there sorry Mr. Patrick um, I think Vissel should have won it in the end but um, not starting Osako and uh, I think we've discussed it enough um, but basically uh, killed off the game already but um, yeah in the end a fair result I suppose yes all right, so anything else from uh, the game itself on Saturday night, Sam, or should we segue on to uh, the uh, the Iniesta era as a whole? I mean, we can mention right at the end, uh, Hachiya Okamura with a flying header off the crossbar. I mean, it would have been one of my, almost a perfect way to end the game for me. Uh, yeah, so I thought both teams had good chances. I thought it could have gone either way. I thought, yeah, maybe the chances for Kobe were there in the first half, but I thought Sapporo had more control of the ball. I thought that they were the slightly better team there. Obviously, Kobe improved in the second half, but yeah, I thought 1-1 was a fair result. All right, then. So uh, the Iniesta era, then, it has um, spanned pretty much five full seasons. He made his debut for the club in uh, July of uh, 2018, having uh, signed his contract, I think, uh, a couple of months previously. Um, Alan, we're not going to obviously take it back right back to that time and, you know, uh, try and revisit how you felt things might go with, uh, uh, you know, an icon of the world game coming to play in the city where you live. I'm sure you were very excited at the time and, um, you know, another, um, another gift to the supporters of Vissel from, from Mr. Mikitani and his uh, bottomless pockets as the man behind Rakuten, of course. But I guess a bigger picture, as you look back over the, the five years that Iniesta has spent at the club, and obviously that spans COVID as well. His initial three-year contract was uh, was extended, and as we say, his um, it, yeah, his legs simply don't work as they once did. And I mean, it is definitely the right time for for him to to be leaving. But um, yeah, overall, bigger picture thoughts on the uh, the move itself, what it meant for for football in Kobe, and um, ultimately whether it will be judged as a success or not. I think um, well, f- f- for a start, we can look at look at the finances, and I'm not sure about the uh, the exact income that this will have on uh, on shirts and and they're forever bringing out new Iniesta merchandise. Um, but I'm pretty sure that um, they've they've got plenty of money back on uh, on the odds and ends that they sell, and uh, especially uniforms at twenty thousand a time. Although of course it's not they're not the most expensive in the league. It's just uh, that's the way it is. Um, but um, uh, so when he arrived, um, Vissel were quite uh, spoiled already with, um, you know, buying the uh, the internationals, bringing them in, and uh, Podolski had been there already. But and and to me, it, it was quite strange because people people ask me, uh, how, Iniesta, and I've only really followed Japanese football for the last 20 years or so. I, I 
I, I rarely watch overseas football in depth at all. And I didn't really realize how big a star Iniesta was. It's strange to say that, uh, especially, you know, with, within a month or two after he'd arrived, or maybe even within a day or two after he'd arrived, I realized how big this man was because, I mean, uh, I, I really wasn't that excited when I, I heard Iniesta was coming. It was just a, another foreign player who was coming over with big money and a uh, big following. Um, but yeah, he showed us some real magic in some games. I mean, and the goal he scored in in the, one of the first few games, um, when he just he just flicked it one the one way and took, took it around the keeper, it, we saw some magic. And the things that he, he's, he's done, I mean, I'm sitting right up on the fifth floor, watching down onto the field, and you you can see from above, he does some incredible things with the ball, and uh, those things, you know, feeding those goals for Furuhashi, the the assist that he was making. Um, whatever he, he lacked in uh, speed and, and fitness and agility, perhaps he was, he really did see an opening. And um, whether I thought he was a star or not uh, before he came, I, I know he is now. Uh, I was soon converted. Um, this all, the whole town, I mean, literally as a, a Kobe person, um, Iniesta's face was everywhere. Uh, people were excited. People that had never been to a football game uh, in their lives, we're going to see Vissel Kobe. We're excited about Vissel Kobe. We're, we're talking about Vissel Kobe. Um, so, I mean, it certainly did the job promotion-wise too. It, it really raised the profile of Vissel Kobe. But I think we, we know that it raised the whole profile of J League too. And I know in particular FC Tokyo were, were disappointed that he didn't play that away game where they actually bought in a look look alike. I'm sure you remember that. Mm. So they bought he has to look alike to to sort of try and calm the fans down, and it really was. I went to some away games, and I also met many many fans over the time who were incredibly dis- disappointed that you know Iniesta didn't start or didn't play in one of those games. And I know that people from literally from uh, from Sagantosa to to Consadole and Vigalta Sendai from north and south of Japan came to Kobe uh, as neutral fans just to watch Iniesta. So. I mean, his, his legacy to J League, his legacy to the Kobe, Vissel Kobe, and to the city of Kobe, uh, is quite incredible, and I'm sure it will never be forgotten. And the the people that watch J League now because of the likes of Iniesta, but you know, going back further, you know, because uh, Podolski and Villa, they're all at Vissel Kobe, uh, Fernando Torres, uh, Diego Forlan. I know that players like this have. Uh, have um, spread the word and people overseas are still watching J League because they they were a Dunga fan or a or a Patrick Mboma fan too, you know. So and Iniesta stayed for five years and, and he's you know I think he spread the word hugely and uh, however much it cost and however past his peak he was, I, I don't think that uh, there is a loss to this. I think uh, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives for Iniesta's career here. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything Alan said. I thought Iniesta for the first, at least the first 18 months, probably up until Furuhashi left. So what's that? Almost, that's probably almost three years. But definitely the first 18 months, he was still the player that would play just a World Cup. He came just after a World Cup at Spain. So he's still good enough to get in there. I just don't tell anyone a football radar, but I still have access to everything. So I've gone back to where uh, uh, what I was saying about Iniesta when he first arrived. His performances were all magnificent. I mean, yeah, he came in just some of the quality, some of the quality of goals, some of the quality of assists, some of the just generally with the ball. He was just head and shoulders above everybody else. Don't forget, he's helped 
Kobe to their first ever title and the Emperor's Cup trophy. I think once they had that run in the Asian Champions League, it was probably his injury in the quarterfinal that was the one thing lacking from Kobe as they went on and lost in that semi-final against Ulsan. I think there's a very strong argument that if Iniesta's fit, they go on and win that Asian Champions League trophy. So, yeah, I thought it would have been magnificent off the field just you always see um yeah the way that he's um taken to the country is really just embraced the culture the way that he's always seems to be working with children in terms of uh, yeah school training sessions all that sort of thing he just seems to have really thrown himself into it and as alan was speaking earlier kind of how annoying maybe the jelliga youtube channels might be with uh focusing on iniesta or with thai players but that is incredible for the league outside of japan when uh, I started watching Japanese football, we didn't get any games outside of it. Once Iniesta came in, it was taken up by a TV channel. They showed one game every week. It was always the Kobe one. And that has gone on and gone on until now we've got four games a week. Uh, always is Kobe, or Kobe are always one, obviously because of Iniesta, and then they pick the Thai players usually for the other one. But it's definitely increased the exposure of the league outside of Japan. I think it's been a net positive, yes, I think the last two years he's been injured a lot. He's obviously passed his peak. And I think it's very easy for people to just kind of rag on him. Yes, oh, he's not very good. He's not very good. He's not done anything. Oh, there's so much money and he can't play anymore. But yeah, I think they just look past how well he played previously. I mean, we had a running theme on uh, whenever we do the end of season awards where Iniesta was second every time. And I think we did that just kind of on purpose uh, at one point, but it was still to say that he was still playing very, very well. I mean, the link up for throughout with uh, Sakai and with Furashi, especially that was kind of the trio of the league that was so good together. They were so good. And you just think everything that Kyogo says, uh, um, Celtic and how much he has learned from, Iniesta and how much he kind of pushed him to go and I think he's must have done so much for everyone that played with him and against him as uh, Alan was saying with a super shot there and the kind of I've got to play oh the excitement to play and to tackle or to compete with Iniesta I think it's just been magnificent so yeah it's maybe has had a down in the last couple of years where he's not been able to really be on the field as much or play to the level that he was used to. But I think he's, yeah, I agree. He's been a net positive. What did he, what about you, um, Ben, as a supporter of a rival team, what has he meant in terms of, yeah, coming when Tokyo came up against uh, Kobe or just the league in general? Yeah. I don't know how many times he actually played away at uh, Ajinomoto against Tokyo. He, he seemed adverse to it. Uh, I don't know whether his wife didn't want him uh, going out and about uh, in the big city, uh, either before or after the game. But, uh, yeah, he uh, there was a couple of times he didn't make the trip. Um, but I know that the Tokyo supporters are always looking forward to, to the visit of, of Kobe. But, um, yeah, I mean, from a, from a, you know, a, a podcaster's perspective, I mean, there's no question, as you say, Sam, he's um, he's greatly expanded the, the reach of, of the league and um, is, uh, yeah, he's a global icon of the game. And the fact that we've we've had him here, for five years, even with his reduced powers in the latter stages, has been a, a huge boon for the game. And uh, I mean, you, you could see it in, um, you know, in the, the, his quotes after the game, Alan, and the 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 grand occasion. Uh, well, I mean, the whole evening was, as you've said. I mean, it, it it's kickstarted in the, in the middle of the afternoon and went on uh, well into the night. But um, yeah, so the the uh, the, the send off. Um, uh, seemed to be worthy of uh, of his impact 
on Kobe, on the on the club, and indeed on the uh, the wider uh, J League community. And I mean, Sam's right to point out the uh, the, the trophy, the first ever major trophy, the the the, uh, the Emperor's Cup win uh, that got uh, Kobe into the ACL. And yes, very unlucky not to go all the way in that competition in 2020, losing uh, in extra time to Ulsan in the semi-finals when um, yeah, it appeared that uh, it was it was there for them to take. And yeah, just unfortunate. That uh, Iniesta uh, was uh, was injured in the in the latter stages, and yeah, as Sam said, that that played a, a played a huge part in in Kobe not quite getting over the line, or at least getting into the final uh, of that competition. But um, the occasion then, uh, you know, off the pitch once uh, once the game had finished on on Saturday night, and some of his quotes afterwards about Kobe now being his home for his family and that they won't be away uh, for long. Um, I mean, that's uh, yeah, an indication of the, uh, not only the effect that he's had on the J league, but also I think on what the city of Kobe and what uh, life in Japan has had on him. I think he's loved it. I think uh, he's um, such a, a horrible person. Um, he walks around uh, Kobe like, uh, like he's just a normal guy. Um, and I think I spoke to um, a few of the people that know him well and, in, and his interpreter also. And the fact that, I mean, he couldn't do that in, in, in Spain or probably anywhere else in Europe. And he'd either get completely mobbed by fans or abused by opposition fans or whatever. But in Kobe, people are basically a little too scared to approach him. So, uh, so he actually walks around quite freely. And when people do approach him, he never refuses a picture. Uh, an, an autograph. Um, it's it's quite amazing. My daughter actually saw him in Universal Studios. Uh, so I I think it was yeah pre-pandemic, so over three years ago. And my daughter went to Universal Studios, and uh, she said that he was there with his whole family, and he he'd got a mask on. So it wasn't he was it was in actually sort of early pandemic perhaps, and he'd got a mask and a cap on, and uh, she was the only one who recognised him. She was on the phone to me. <laughs> Iniesta's here, so she was quite excited. But um, yeah, I mean, he's been a, he's been a real guy, and he's been a real normal person. He he, he takes care of people. Um, I think I've got a couple of things. Uh, I may have mentioned it before long ago, but um, Daigo Nishi was playing for um, Urawa Reds at the time. Actually, requested a move to Kobe and kind of negotiated it himself so that he could move to Vissel Kobe as soon as he heard that Iniesta was there. Mm. He took a pay cut from Reds to join uh, Vissel Kobe, and he has said he never once regretted it. In fact, I was with him two nights ago. He he wasn't in the Consadole squad, but he flew down from Sapporo after the training that he had to, to he had to do training uh, on a match day. As soon as the training was over, he flew down and we met at the game. And um, so the, the fact that a professional player who was like, you know, 32 or so, I mean, not a spring chicken, not some guy who was overawed by anyone, actually requested and got a move to Kobe's just so that he could train and play with Iniesta, says a lot to me. And then on uh, Saturday night after the game, I saw, uh, shall we say, grown men crying, people who play with Iniesta. I won't mention players' names, but some of these guys were crying. Um, that, you know, that, uh, I mean, and not, not in the ceremony, this was after the ceremony, just past the media area where all the families are hanging out. And some of these guys were getting tears in their eyes and everybody was getting a, a shirt signed by Iniesta. These are the players. I mean, I saw Kikuchi's 
holding a shirt there and Iniesta's writing a message for Kikuchi and then they're hugging and you know it's it's incredible these guys uh, they're in awe of him and they really really appreciate the fact that they managed to get a chance to play with him so um, I think the fact that he's so humble he gives so much and these players like complete professionals of of 10 or 15 years just want to be with him and want to train with him and want, and they learn from him incredible wonderful stuff all right then, Alan. Well, I know you usually have that effect on people as well when you uh, when you depart. So I mean, uh, I'm sure it was just water off a duck's back for you. I'm sure you weren't uh, breaking down in tears or anything. But uh, yeah, a, a definitely a wonderful occasion as uh, the J League bid farewell for now to to Andres. Of course, as he said, he'll be back as he now considers. Kobe his home but uh, yeah a wonderful send off um obviously he went in with the fans he he made the most of the uh, the the big occasion and um yeah he was uh, yeah warmly shown the door i suppose by the the Vissel um the Vissel family on Saturday night and uh, i guess it's just unfortunate for them bigger picture they weren't able to celebrate the uh, the occasion with three points that will have kept up the pressure on F Marinos at the top of the table but uh, yes it was Andre's uh, Andres's big night and um yeah thanks for sharing your memories of it and of of him uh, in his uh, time in a Kobe shirt and uh, well Kobe obviously still very much in the thick of the title race so i'm sure we'll be catching up again uh, throughout the second half of the season so thanks for your time on this week's episode thank you i'm hoping to be back soon Welcome back, and uh, thanks again to Alan there for everything in part one. Uh, Sam, I guess I should begin part two of this episode with a bit of an apology to uh, anybody who stumped up uh, even uh, a few dollars of their hard-earned cash on uh, Shonan at ridiculous odds away at the leaders. Uh, F. Marinos in the only J1 game played on Sunday night. Uh, The odds were very long and very tempting, but, um, well, this game was uh, pretty much over after a, a, a pretty uh, horrendous start to the game by the Shonan keeper, Rasan Boomkyun. Yeah, worst possible start for anyone back in that 150 with the one shot. I mean, Shonan did try to get the four goals themselves, but completely let, left the back door open. And unfortunately, Song had, I think, his worst 10 minutes in the Shonan shirt. In, in midweek against Reds, they lost 4-1, but... He probably was Shonan's best player with the amount of saves that he made in that game. And he went on to somewhat redeem himself in this game. But yeah, first 10 minutes, it all went wrong for him. First, I think, six minutes in, Matt Sabara with a shot from 20 yards. It's quite close to Song, but it somehow goes through him for 1-0. And then a couple of minutes later, dreadful pass out from him straight to Jan Mateus. He feeds Anderson Lopez and you're 2-0 down to Yokohama if Marinos inside 10 minutes. It's never going to be a good afternoon at that. At that. And... Yeah, it turned out into a really exciting afternoon, but really, uh, finished 4-1, it could have been about 13-3 or something. That was the amount of chances F. Marinos had. Well, yeah, redeemed himself is, is right. It was a dreadful start for Song, but yeah, I mean, there's so many uh, saves that he uh, was forced into to making throughout the remainder of the game and the remainder of the first half in particular. A, a, a stunning sequence just before half time when he uh, repelled efforts from Yokohama's uh, three-headed Brazilian monster of uh, Elber Lopez and uh, Jan Mateus in rapid succession was, uh, yes, stunning to see. But, uh, yeah, that uh, Shonan got to the break at a 2-0 down after that early uh, that early uh, couple of uh, mistakes from Song. But then uh, F. Marinos made a fast start to the second half, 
as well. And six minutes after the break, uh, another brace for Anderson Lopez when he headed uh, a deft Jan Mateus cross back across Song and uh, in for three nil. And uh, well, if it wasn't already, that was it was game over at that point. Uh, yeah, it was. It was uh, yeah, m- what um, Marinos deserved. Shannon had come out pretty well in the start of the year. Uh, uh, second half, I think Nakano would force a decent save from Ichimori, and yeah, they for the entire game. And I, I don't know if this is to their credit or not, because they really tried. They really threw players forward, and uh, they were going trying to go toe to toe with F Marinos. And uh, yeah, it's brave. Some would argue stupid, maybe especially uh, with the way that the result went. But I, I just admire it. They were definitely fighting the Shonan team, but uh, as soon as it went to three 0 that was pretty much game over. Anderson Lopez, like, lovely header across Song, nothing that the keeper could have done with that. And yeah, he just continues his march at the top of the goal scoring charts. It was another really good performance from him and from Jan Mateus on that right side. And I mean, if Elbert had turned up, because he had a shocker, really, the amount of times the ball went to him and he dillied and dallied and didn't get the shot away. And I mean, he could have had a hat trick just in chances he didn't take a shot on. So yeah, they got lucky a little bit showing them that it wasn't more. But yeah, 3-0, it was uh, pretty much game over. Well, yeah, after you mentioned it, the scoreline in midweek and, yeah, then travelling away to the uh, the leaders, I don't know if uh, Satoshi Yamaguchi just treated this like a free hit and, um, yeah, they're, uh, we might as well just try and match them or, you know, uh, try and uh, work our way back into form and, um, you know, they uh, they were good value for their, for their 4-1 defeat if there's such a thing. But, uh, yeah, uh, as you say, Shonan did show some fight. And uh, for them, uh, I guess it's uh, hopefully a sign of things to come that they're not going to be um, too downtrodden despite the fact they've con- just conceded 14 goals in their last three league games, which makes uh, for uh, horrible stats, obviously, when you say them out loud. But, uh, yeah, at least on this performance, they were, um, yeah, competitive and uh, on another day might have had a couple more goals themselves. Though, as you said, they could have easily let in six or seven more themselves as well. This game was notable. Uh, not only was it a top versus bottom clash, but it was also the the farewell game for uh, Shuto Machino, of course, the main man up front for Shonan and formerly of uh, Yokohama F. Marinos. Uh, he played his uh, farewell game before he leaves to join a, a German second division club. And um, I guess uh, for the Shonan supporters, Sam, they uh, they left with another 4-1 defeat, but at least they got to see their main man, Net, in his final appearance. It was from 12 yards, but uh, that won't have mattered uh, a jot to the, uh, the the visiting Belmare supporters. Uh, Korsuke Onose was bundled over in the box by Yuta Koike in the 73rd minute. And uh, yes, a couple of minutes later, uh, Machino sent Jun Ichimori the wrong way from the spot. So finishing on nine goals for the season as he uh, jets off to Europe. Um, we've, I guess we've considered the fact that Machino would be on his way and inevitability for, well, pretty much most of the season. It was uh, it was looming as a, a dark cloud over Shaunan's season. Now they're going to have to um, do something you would expect in the uh, in the transfer market to replace Machino. Um, it'll obviously take uh, some excellent scouting to find someone who can hit the ground running and, and play at a similar level that Machino has from uh, from the off. But I guess that's the challenge that uh, Belmare face uh, as they currently uh, sit bottom of the table. 
Yeah, you would hope they have some sort of plan in pro in in place. You'd think they'd have known long before that Machina was going to leave this summer, especially when he didn't go in the winter to a J League club. It was obvious then that Europe was his destination, and so hopefully they've got something figured out because yeah, a massive player to lose nine goals out of their twenty five so far this season. Yes, there are still decent players around him, but once you take that focal point out and the amount of work he does without not even just his scoring, but the way that he holds the ball up, the way that he can run a defence ragged and the way that he can then bring others into play, they're going to really miss out on that. And Yuki Ohashi, as, as decently as he has been when fit this season, is not the same sort of striker as Machino. So it's a, a huge loss, especially when you find yourself bottom of the table and you can't defend to save your lives at the moment to then take your biggest goal scoring threat away as well is uh, yeah, a really difficult one to be in they've started going into the transfer window they've brought in Kim Min Tai from Kashima Antlers who defensively I think is incredibly suspect he was at Sapporo as is everybody but also when he has played at Kashima as well so I'm not massively convinced that that's the, the greatest way to start the summer rebuild but yeah, the, hopefully they've got some money out of the uh, matching you know, deal and that hopefully they then can invest that and yeah, find some sort of striker because, because uh, yeah, at the bottom of the table, they uh, absolutely need it. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to see whether they keep with Yamaguchi as well because you have to decide on that manager to do that build to bring in the right players. And obviously this has been a horrendous week for for him and the and the side, and whenever you find yourself at the bottom of the table, there's kind of panic can, can set in, uh, even though it's only one point away from Casual Race. Also, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, yeah, if he continues or not, because yeah, they're looking in a bit of peril at the moment. Yes, no doubt about that. It's uh, four straight losses, thirteen without a win in the league, spanning uh, three months, and uh, yes, they are a point adrift. At the bottom, but they do have a trip to second from bottom Kashiwa coming up on Saturday. So, um, well, can Shonan somehow stop the bleeding at the back and, um, yeah, manufacture a couple of goals going the right way to uh, to see them uh, get off the foot of the table? Uh, we shall see. For the leaders, though, that's a sixth straight league win and uh, look out they might be properly starting to hit their straps although yes a a home win over a um, yeah over the side bottom at the table who basically gifted them a two goal head start maybe isn't the uh, the the best game to be jumping to conclusions on for F Marinos but a um, an excellent run of results for Kevin Muscat and um, well, yeah, we said there's a huge game coming up at the bottom this uh, this weekend. Well, there's uh, there's one at the top as well, and uh, yes, we'll preview obviously the uh, the the match day twenty fixtures uh, in more detail at the end of the episode, listeners. But uh, let's just say there's a bot- a battle of the top as well as a battle at the bottom coming up for you uh, this coming weekend. And uh, speaking of the team, now in second, that is Nagoya Grampus. Oh, sorry, I didn't give Asahi Wenaka his praise, did I, Sam, after he had the the final word uh, shortly after Machino's goal. Uh, 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 Wenaka scored his first 
J1 goal, uh, volleying in after Song had saved from uh, Wienaka's fellow substitute, Kota Mizanuma. But, uh, well, yeah, we've spoken uh, a bit about Wienaka, uh, Johnny and yourself, in the last couple of weeks. And as as we've said, I'm sure we're going to be speaking a lot more about about Wienaka uh, in the uh, the course of the second half of the season. So um, apologies, Asahi. did get that mentioned in there before we moved on properly. And uh, now we can do as uh, Grampus are a second in the table now. They leapfrogged uh, Vissel and uh, are now F. Marinos' closest challenges after a 2-0 home win over Kawasaki Frontale. Uh, Grampus took a somewhat fortunate lead in this one, Sam, four minutes before halftime when a Kawasaki goalkeeper Naoto Kami Fukamoto dropped across from deep on the left by Mateus. But I guess we've got to give credit to Kasper Junker for being in the right place at the right time when uh, Kami Fukamoto fumbled, uh, panicked, and then uh, almost uh, kicked the ball uh, goalwards with his uh, trailing leg. Uh, Junker was in the right place at the right time. He pounced on the loose ball and scored from close range. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, right place, right time, and uh, well done to Junker. Oh, yeah, he's got that striker's instinct, hasn't he? He's always knows where he kind of has a sixth sense of where the ball's going to be. And, yeah, it fell to him, finished it off well. So, yeah, really good from Juncker. Dreadful, really, again, from Kami Fukumoto. This is a couple of errors um, last week, and they're creeping in a lot more now. He did take over from Jung at the start of the season and looked okay. But, yeah, it's still, it's, it kind of reminds me um, of, like, Tim Howard or Ben Foster at Man United, like a good goalkeeper at a lower level, but he's just gone up and he's maybe not dealing with the pressure maybe at Kawasaki. He's just a few errors are creeping in and it's not really working at the moment for them. I know there are plenty of calls on some uh, frontale support to get Jung back in, but the fact of the matter is Jung was pretty rubbish before Kami Fukumoto, so they've just got mm. a real issue in that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really you, like Young is what 39 is he now and you, you're not going to build anything around him and then Kami Fukumoto is still 33 but you've got to try and stick with him I suppose unless you then go out and find another goalkeeper but yeah it's uh, definitely an issue for Kawasaki who, yeah once you can see that sort of goal whatever control they may have had around the game they had a lot of possession as they generally do without again creating a great deal but once you're conceding goals like this or in the manner that they conceded the second a goal last week then you've got no chance really you can't really control games as they would like to and uh, especially as they're not creating and scoring enough chances the other end so it's another area of concern for Frontale that seemed to just be growing uh, this season and so, yeah, when you've got a clinical striker like Junker there, they're going to punish them. So, yeah, another issue for Kawasaki to address as this season goes on. Yes, and the difference between the uh, sticks was very stark in this one, wasn't it? As uh, up the other end, uh, Mitch Langerak had made a, a fine low save to deny Yasuto Wakizaka in the first half, and the uh, the Aussie shot stopper was called on again early after the restart to repel Dayotono's blast and uh, with Frontale probing for an equaliser in the first 15 minutes of the second half, uh, yeah, Langerak was uh, was kept pretty busy, but then Frontale were undone themselves just past the hour when uh, Ryuji Izumi drove in from the left, played a 1-2 with Kensuke Nagai and finished with a plomb across Kami Fukumoto for 2-0. And that was job done. Uh, Grampus had uh, well and truly shut the door by uh, that point of proceedings and, uh, yeah, leaving Frontale in the uh, the bottom half of the table in the 10th spot 
and yeah, not even the most optimistic of uh, Frontale fans could uh, could now have any sort of realistic expectations of getting really anything at all out of this season. Um, it's uh, it's quite a fall from grace, Sam. We I guess we knew it was inevitable that uh, the the weight of the, uh, the 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 quality of the players that they've lost over the last. Uh, four or five years would ultimately tell. Um, it looks like they've just uh, completely fallen off a cliff in terms of uh, not only results, but um, performances and, you know, the threat that they can pose on a game-to-game basis. Um, and, uh, yeah, when you come up against uh, such a well-drilled and well-organised defence such as Nagoya, um, yeah, Frontale ultimately ended up a, a very frustrated outfit by the time uh, the game was up at the Toyota Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, when I did my J-Bread, I think I immediately regretted saying Kawasaki Frontale second when I did, and uh, it's got worse and worse as the season's gone on. They had lost so many players, but they were still that. you still thought there's an 11 there, there's a really good team there, and then once they lost Jesse L for most of the season, they've not been able to get Leandro Damian fit all year, and Marcinho, the most dynamic out, um, outlet that they had, he's also been injured all season, pretty much all season, so... Yeah, without those three, this was a squad that couldn't afford to lose that many players. And without them, yes, still technically on the ball, it looks nice. Schmidt, Oshima, Wakizaka, they're all decent players. They're good players, very technical, but there's not that outlet. There's not that player that is going to go past the defence, not player that's going to produce some magic out of nowhere to score a goal. There's nothing, it's quite easy to defend against and defensively we know they've had issues. I quite like Kota Takai, but he's still only 18 who's come in and then I think he had a poor error right at the start of the game which allowed Junker in and when he's, yeah, when they're relying on young players like that, I think other players like Miki Yamane are not having the seasons they previously had and yeah, it's all come together and Kawasaki have just dropped off to be a quite average team this season. So yeah, it's, I think this season is almost a write-off for them in terms of challenging for ACL positions or of course the title. Uh, so yeah, they're going to have to regroup. They're already out of the Levain Cup. So Emperor's Cup or bust, you can't really see it. I mean, anything can happen in a cup competition, but yeah, this season might just be the end of an era for Kawasaki and then they've got to rebuild and whether they do that with Oniki, whether he's interested in doing that or not, or if they go completely fresh at the start of next season, I don't know. But yeah, I think this has been yeah a real come down for Frontale supporters. Yep, absolutely. Smack bang in the middle of the table. 13 points above bottom placed Shonan, but now 13 behind after this uh, loss to uh, to second place Nagoya. 13 points behind second place, I should say. And uh, yes, yeah, 17 points off uh, the top spot in the table, uh, Kawasaki. So next we'll head to the real estate agent in front of the station stadium down in Tosu uh, when uh, Sagan hosted Urawa, who, as we mentioned, were coming off that 4-1 home win over Shonan in their game in hand uh, in uh, last midweek. But the visitors' Reds found themselves behind in just the eighth minute after uh, Kohei Tezuka's sublime cross with the outside of his left foot was headed in by Yoichi Naganuma. But Tosu's lead was short-lived. And just three minutes later, after Reds cut out a Tosu throw, uh, Atsuki Ito's cutback from out on the right was uh, almost controlled, slightly miscontrolled by Jose Kante, but uh, fired home uh, low in off 
Park Ilgu's left-hand post. So, uh, yeah, all action at the uh, the start of this one. And um, uh, as we'll come on to, it, uh, it, the, the final goal of this game was uh, to be another highlight reel uh, effort from uh, from Reds. But, uh, yeah, quite a, a fast start for both teams to this one, Sam. Yeah, it was. It was missed as well the first weekend off <laughs> and uh, I forgot that Mustang and Tosu was playing so I didn't actually get to see uh, any of this first half which is where most of the action happened so I'm a little annoyed about that but yeah it seemed all action I thought Tosu yeah with the the first goal Naganuma um, really was a defender before we came to Tosu and they've managed to get him into this really good attacking winger who seems to get his head on pretty much every ball in and it was a lovely cross uh, from Tezuka and he got that header in and it was yeah, perfect start. Both teams kind of weirdly coming off smashing Shonan Belmari. I don't think you get that uh, too often. Uh, two teams that uh, cock a hoop bat on the, for the same reason, really. But uh, yeah, Reds immediately back. Kante, they need him to start firing because, yeah, the goals are... Uh, you've got loads against Shonan, but it seems to be everybody does that. But you can't rely on Kuroki, and Kante has been brought in to really add that. And uh, it was a decent finish, as you say, that. First touch wasn't perfect, but yeah, really good strike down low uh, past Park. And yeah, it turned into a end to end first half, the looks of it. Um, yeah, both teams quite excited. Toaster especially don't have anything to lose. They're not going to get dragged into a relegation battle. They're kind of, uh, whereas Frontali are going to be devastated by their mid table position, Toaster would get just to be in mid table given how many players they lose each season is just great for them. And they can play with freedom as they seem to have been doing. In the last few weeks, so it, it made for a really good first half. But yeah, this uh, I was devastated that I'd missed the uh, second hour a goal live. Yeah, what a stunner it was! Uh, seven minutes before the break, um, Reds went in front with a uh, sensational long-range effort from uh, Ken Iwao. I mean, we we spoke about how alert uh, Kaspiunka was to be uh, yeah, Johnny on the spot when uh, Kami Fukumoto fumbled that uh, that uh, cross in the Nagoya-Kawasaki game. Well, uh, yeah, Iwao looked up, saw a Park Ilgu, just for a change, of course, was uh, well off his line, and from a yard or two inside his own half, uh, drove a dead ball over the keeper and uh, in off his uh, fingertips, a desperate dive backwards from Park to try and keep it out, but uh, unsuccessful. And, um, yeah, this just adds to the the long line of um, miraculous, spectacular goals that we we seem to see on a, a very regular basis in this league, Sam, from uh, all three divisions, it must be said. I mean, um, yeah, it's this this league is, uh, I guess, is renowned for for goals like these, and this was just the latest uh, the latest of them. A, uh, a a true truly special goal from uh, from Ken Iwao. Oh, it was fantastic! Great finish from Iwao. There's the presence of mind. Obviously, doesn't you know Park's going to be off his line, but to look up and so quickly make up his decision, and then to hit it so well over the right amount of power to get over Park, it was yeah a magnificent strike and worthy of winning any game. And uh, yeah, just yeah, just loved it. It was great from Ken Iwao and. Uh, I don't think it's going to make Park learn to stay on his line <laughs> at all. I don't imagine he's going to uh, change the way he plays. But, yeah, he was made to look a little bit silly here. Indeed, indeed. All right. So, uh, yes, that was it then. Uh, obviously, still an entertaining second half. But uh, Iwao did ultimately have the final word. And uh, Reds won for the second straight game. They're now a nine 
unbeaten in the league. Uh, coincidentally, their last uh, league defeat was the reverse fixture between these two sides back in early May. And again, another coincidence, it was Naganuma and Tezuka who scored the two goals in uh, Tosu's 2-0 win at the Saitama Stadium, and they combined for Sagan. But uh, yes, Reds have uh, come from behind to take uh, all three points. And, um, what well, I mean, they're sitting fairly pretty, Sam. They're uh, obviously all of their games in hand, uh, uh, the ACL-related, are now uh, done and dusted after the uh, the win over Shonan last midweek. They sit uh, six points behind the red-hot leaders, but I'd say fairly well-placed to take advantage if uh, if Marinos do have a bit of a slip in the next, um, you know, couple of months. Uh, and as you say, a lot will hinge on what they do in the transfer market if they uh, if they feel like uh, Kante, Kuroki, etc. need some more help. They uh, they obviously need, probably need to get a couple of bodies out to get one or two more in. But um, yeah, ultimately, how do you think Maciej Scorgi would be feeling about things now that he knows the ACL um, is out of the way until obviously until it starts again? But in terms of his preparation for the latter stages of the 2022 ACL, that's obviously well and truly out of the picture. Um, and uh, yeah, he can look to uh, to strengthen and really look to build um, as, uh, you know, Grampus and Kobe uh, are still ahead of them, but only by a, a point or two respectively. And yeah, they, as I say, they do look pretty well placed to challenge at the moment. Yeah, they've got to be very happy with the way things are going. They've started a little bit slowly, but to still then be there or thereabouts as they are at the moment, they are built on such a solid defence. The second best record in the league, and Kobe are the ones ahead of them, but they've still got a game in hand, so it could well be that Reds is the best. Uh, and if they can then add an out-and-out goal score, it's easier said than done, but if they can add that to their game or a, little, a few more goals, then... Yeah, absolutely. They should be right up there to, um, to take advantage if Marinos do slip up. I think they, the advantage they do have on F Marinos is I don't imagine Reds conceding too many goals in the game. You could see games where Marinos could concede plenty, even against Shonan. Shonan could have had two or three. And if Shonan are getting that, those chances, then plenty of teams will get those chances. So, yeah, I think they're really well placed. Obviously, like Marinos, they have the ACL coming up again. And that might start to hurt them when they have to rotate a little bit more. Maybe they don't have as settled as a defence as they have managed to have, especially that centre-back partnership and that midfield partnership as well with Iwao. And Ito is such an incredible spine, really. So, yeah, but I have liked everything about them. They're not the flashiest side in the world, but incredibly well-organised. Scorcher has got them drilled well. And, uh, yeah, they're going to be a real threat. And I wonder if you ask a Marinos supporter... What team are they most fearful of those three behind them? It's probably going to still be Kobe with the uh, quality that they have in attack. But, yeah, I think you've got to consider Reds a real challenge as well. Yes, indeed. And I think as we're going to come on to, we might be in a little bit of danger of this uh, top four breaking away from uh, the rest of the pack because, uh, yeah, for the other teams challenging for ACL spots. Well, uh, again, it's overreacting to one weekend, you could say. But, um, yeah, they haven't shown, I don't think, enough uh, consistency, those uh, those teams from fifth down. And we're going to come on to them right now, beginning with the Cerezo Osaka, who, of course, we were um, just full of praise for on, uh, on last week's episode after their 
performance up at the Sapporo Dome when they uh, they swept aside Sapporo um, in terms of the result anyway. Obviously, it's, it's very end-to-end whenever you face, uh, face Sapporo, but Cerezo uh, handled their trip up there extremely well, and we wondered if they were uh, forming a platform for themselves to launch an, an ACL bid. And then um, under the bright lights uh, at the Sakura Stadium on on Friday night, Cerezo hosted... Avispa Fukuoka, and, um, well, Sam, is it a bit harsh to say they laid an egg on the big stage? They, uh, they've they come away with nothing, and um, Fukuoka have left with all three points after a, a composed performance, a, a typically resilient defensive performance, and a tremendous header from, from Lukian in the 22nd minute when he arrived in the box and powered home a bullet header from Takeshi Kanamori's driven cross in from the left and from what i saw from this one it was uh, no less than fukuoka deserved yeah i thought Cerezo were rubbish absolutely rubbish and it was just like the most j-league result you could think of Cerezo off the back of a 4-1 away victory just gonna be yeah, buzzing after that result avispa haven't won almost in two months so obviously it was an away victory for avispa that's just the way things go but yeah Cerezo were poor i think they had a few injuries like Mikuma was out and matsuda has already been out for a while so shindo was moved across to right back where he's not particularly strong and it was down his side where the cross comes in where he doesn't really get out and then the uh, left back is uh, funaki is still yamanaka was only fit enough for the bench here so funaki got a um lukian got a run on funaki and it was a really good header but yeah there were a few things that were slightly off with Cerezo at the back which maybe doesn't help and uh, yeah Vispa was crucial for them they got Douglas Grolly back as well because yeah they were in the last game they were in such defensive turmoil with Grolly and Miero out from the start then Kennedy uh, Kennedy McCooney got injured in that first half so they were down to a, a rookie really in Inoue so it was great for them that Grolly came back that's such a good solid partnership with uh Tatsuki Nara and yeah once they got the lead it wasn't they weren't really that well tested I thought they controlled the game they didn't necessarily create too much but Avispa are very happy to take a 1-0 lead sit in on it and really uh, control the game from that manner and just keep Cerezo at arm's length and uh, they did that Cerezo offered very little I can remember a Shindo chance where he kind of hooked it over the bar but that was about it, really. I think Cerezo were very, very poor in Avispa. And they played well last week, even in losing to Kobe. I thought they played well again here, and this time they got their rewards. Yeah, tremendous. Obviously, we've got a lot of diehard Fukuoka supporters amongst our uh, our listenership, and they will have been uh, wrapped with that last Friday night, and, and fair dues as well. It had been a, a pretty rough last couple of months, for Avispa, uh, and indeed they come in, they came in on the back of a seven-game winless run in the league. But um, yeah, well done, and they uh, yeah I think they fully deserved their three points as they steadied their ship. Uh, as did Niigata in one of the uh, the big surprise results uh, from the weekend. They uh, they hosted Sanfrecce Hiroshima, and a quick one-two punch midway through the first half gave a previously struggling. Alberex a boost and uh, stunned Hiroshima. Uh, the hosts took the lead at the Big Swan in the 25th minute when uh, y- uh, Yotakomi's deft touch played in Shunsuke Mito, who drove home low to Keisuke Osako's right. And then just three minutes later, a neat move in midfield culminated with Mito slipping in left back Naoto Arai, whose uh, shot took a slight deflection 
off a sliding defender and flashed into the net over a helpless Osako. So, um, yeah, I think you can see some of the combination play uh, from uh, from Niigata coming back into their game. Sam, that uh, been one of the hallmarks of the, the first couple of months for them when they'd obviously drawn uh, so much praise for their performances on their return to J1. And uh, at times they're a little bit too hot for Hiroshima to handle. And, yeah, this, uh, this one-two punch, uh, well, it's ultimately ended up being the, the difference between the two teams. I mean, there were some good saves from uh, from their keeper Ryosuke Kojima to keep uh, to keep Hiroshima at bay at times, but um, yeah, as I say, just like Fukuoka, Niigata have uh, steadied their ship in uh, very pleasing circumstances on Saturday. Yeah, very much so. This was back to the Niigata we'd seen in previous games, the, where the reverse fixture against Hiroshima being a prime example where they were fantastic. And uh, this first half was uh, back to their best. It was great to see uh, Mito really take on the mantle, that Ito role. He was more central. He was involved in pretty much everything. He obviously gets his goal where the ball is not intended for him. It's intended for Suzuki, but Mito just decides, I'm taking this. Uh, burst past the defender. It's a really good finish. And yeah, he was then involved in pretty much everything in that first half it all kind of went through him and uh, Hiroshima just couldn't get to grips with him at all and uh, yeah the rest of the team took confidence from that they played yeah with freedom they yeah kept getting players forward we didn't see Arai getting forward for uh, his goal and yeah that was just fantastic the key moment maybe is in the injury time in the first half where as you mentioned Kojima made an incredible save from obviously Kawamura who's the most unlucky player in the league yeah. tips him onto the bar and uh, yeah if Hiroshima got back it into 2-1 there then maybe they could have come on got back into the game maybe even gone on and won it but yeah keeping it at 2-0 after a terrific first half from Niigata was vital and the second half Hiroshima there wasn't that comeback that you would imagine they didn't I mean they probably still dominated the shot counts like 3-1 to one, as they usually do but it didn't seem like they were in under a constant pressure at Niigata it didn't seem that Hiroshima were banging it on the door I know Morishima got injured as well in the second half and if you take him and Mitsuta out of this team they've obviously suffered without Mr but if you take Morishima out as well then that's a real big gap that they have to fill because uh, there aren't they're struggling for goals and once you take out arguably their two most likely goal scorers then yeah I think well, we can probably call it now anyway I think our prediction of Hiroshima winning the league I think that's dead and buried at this point but yeah it was just it kind of looked like Hiroshima got to a point where they just it's not going to happen for them and they just kind of fell off, but they ran into a very good Niigata team and they needed this result because I was starting to get worried that they might get themselves dragged into a relegation battle. Right, yeah. I mean, it's huge, this, for uh, for a couple of different reasons. As you say, yeah, I had similar fears for, uh, for Niigata and indeed for Fukuoka before that. I mean, obviously Fukuoka are a couple of points better off than, uh, than Albert X and... Um, yeah, they. Uh, I think we were both probably um, convinced they were both going to be okay ultimately. But uh, yeah, these uh, these wins are uh, hugely important. But yeah, on the flip side, we mentioned how disappointing Cerezo were, and then yeah, for Hiroshima to lose for the third straight game and indeed the fourth time in five league games. Um, yeah, I think we can pour one out for our uh, our JPred. Sam, it uh, looks like it's officially gone down the toilet. They're 13 points uh, off top spot. And, um, 
yeah, I don't think F. Martinez are probably going to drop 13 points for the rest of the season, are they? So let alone Hiroshima being perfect from this point on. I mean, that's clearly not going to happen. The form they're in, and um, yeah, all they can do is scratch around and uh, maybe try and uh, latch on to the coattails of uh, of Reds up in fourth. But uh, as we say, the way things are going for them in in the last month or so, it's even hard to see them uh, launching a real bid for the ACL spots as uh, this, just as the second half of the season gets going. So yeah, a, a very frustrating time, I'm sure, for for Michael Skibber and his uh, his staff, and of course for the playing group especially as well. Especially when, as you say, we, they've got some of their big name players out of the picture due to injury, um, which you can't really legislate for. Of course, and we continue to wait and see what they will do in the uh, in the transfer market. But uh, yeah, for now, big wins for Fukuoka and for Niigata, and uh, yeah, a second straight win under Peter Kolmovsky for FC Tokyo at home against uh, second from bottom Kashiwa, and it was the uh, the former Racehole man. Diego Oliveira, who was at it again. He uh, appears revitalized under Klamovsky and um, added to his uh, brace from last week with a uh, terrific goal just after the uh, the half hour when he headed in across from Kota Tawara Sumida um, uh, after finding a pocket of space in between the Kashiwa centre-backs. Sam, uh, I mean, you could see Oliveira calling for the cross, he knew he was in the right place. It was just a matter of if uh, Tawara Tumida could find him or not. He could, and uh, Diego did the rest, uh, much to his and uh, Klamovsky's uh, joy, of course. Oh, yeah, I've just remembered the, the exact thing about this goal. And uh, Just anybody, and especially the race on manager, watch Tatsuta trying to deal with uh, Diego Oliveira <laughs> here. It is appalling. And then for some reason, he came back in for this game and just watch that 30 seconds of football and then ask me, answer me, why has he ever been picked to start a game? It's just, I mean, Diego, yeah, it's good movement and everything, but Tatsuta has no idea where he's gone. It's not good. It's not like he's done magic rather than disappeared. It was quite easy, but yeah, it was good in the end, I suppose, for Diego. He's really, yeah, as you said, revitalised under Klamovsky. I think he's put in uh, two very good performances. And yeah, if you can get him firing and getting him as a consistent goal-scoring source, then yeah, absolutely great. Because yeah, I thought another good performance from Tokyo. First half especially, I thought you were under in complete control of the game. I don't think Raysol ventured into your half very often. And then second half, not as intense from Tokyo, but not necessarily as flashy, but very much controlled. It was as routine a 1-0 victory as you'd like. And yeah, all still, it's still liking what you're seeing from FC Tokyo, Ben? Yeah, I think so. It's, um, as you say, a, uh, an impressive first half that uh, looked like uh, they were really building on on last week again uh, against a limited opponent but yeah when you don't get the second goal I mean that's uh, a pattern I've seen goodness knows how many times um you know in the flesh with the uh, the eight or nine years I had a, a season ticket I can't remember how many times I saw it at Ajinomoto Stadium and obviously since um yeah family time became more important how many times 
I've seen it on the TV where uh, Tokyo nurse a one nil lead into the latter stages of games. And then, um, I mean, it's a familiar pattern. I know for a lot of J league clubs, they either pick the opponent off on the break and make it two nil or the opponent, um, wears them down and, and nets an equalizer while, uh, Tokyo are, are sat in and trying to protect their lead. So, um, yeah, I will admit to being uh, very nervy in the last few minutes, especially when a couple of chances uh, fell at the feet of Matteo Savio, the the one racehole player uh, I wouldn't have wanted to see uh, in those situations. But luckily, uh, he fired his first shot over and his uh, his second just wide of uh, Jakub Slovic's left-hand post. But... Um, yeah, uh, baby steps, but uh, as I said last week, it's uh, it's up to Klamovsky to make Tokyo relevant again. Still down in 11th, but yes, um, early signs are good, and I guess slightly surprising, Sam, giving, given uh, Klamovsky's um, reputation for, you know, attacking non-stop, uh, non-stop action is the fact that, yeah, Tokyo have, have been able to keep clean sheets in, in consecutive games. And I guess that does say a lot about what Klamovsky wants them to do higher up the pitch and in terms of pressuring their opponents. But um, it's something that, uh, yeah, they'd gotten away from, I think, um, in the latter stages under uh, Albert Pucci. So the, the clean sheets... Um, uh, are a pleasing way to start the uh, the Klamovsky reign, as well as the uh, the goals up the other end from uh, Diego Oliveira. Yeah, it's an incredibly surprising statistic, actually, to have two clean sheets. It's not what I associated with a Klamovsky team, especially having my real uh, um, introduction to him was that Shimizu team who could concede from literally anywhere, I thought, at any <laughs> moment. So, yeah, it's been really uh, positive to see. Again, not taking as many risks at the back as I assume they would be maybe he's just seen that maybe these players aren't quite capable of doing that so let's not do it let's just kind of keep things a little bit more simple and yeah just it's just been really professional at the moment for Tokyo and uh, yeah really good to see I yeah the midfield especially I think has been uh, Abe and Matsuki you can see them they've stepped it up a notch in terms of the energy of their press the energy they, they've got so much responsibility now as the two main central midfielders rather than being three back there with either Koizumi or Keigo Higashi but uh, yeah it works really well they've taken it on there's so much energy there the one issue I might have is the wingers and you've lost a Dalton to injury Nakagawa also to injury that you're running low yes um, yeah I don't know why I brought him up because Tower Tawara Sumida has done well as he uh, as he's come in but yeah it's young 19 year old I think the slight depth issue there whether he goes in to the window and brings another player in or not I'm not sure but yeah it's looking pretty pretty good after the first two games yeah not killing a team off and if that Savio strike right in the 95th minute goes in then we might be talking a little bit differently about Tokyo but so far so good Indeed, indeed. And yeah, you mentioned Abe there and his uh, his partnership with uh, Matsuki in central midfield. Some really good quotes uh, from uh, from Abe in a piece that Sean Carroll did on uh, the uh, the opening stages of the uh, Klamovsky reign on his uh, Saka Nihon website last week. So check out Sean Carroll's Twitter for a link to, to that piece. And um, yeah, uh, Klamovsky's uh, fiery introduction to uh, to FC, life at FC Tokyo that we obviously spoke about uh, on uh, last week's episode as well. All right then, so uh, just a couple of games left to go then, listeners, after those uh, those wins for Fukuoka, Niigata and FC Tokyo. We'll finish off with a couple of goalless draws. Um, one of them 
was certainly not a surprise it finished nil nil sam and i think we can wrap it up within uh, within a couple of sentences uh, kashima versus kyoto happened up at the kashima soccer stadium a couple of first half chances for hayato nakama for the hosts and then with 15 minutes left yuta toyokawa sent a free header across goal and wide for the visitors but that was pretty much all she wrote in terms of uh, goal mouth chances for, for that game. Um, Kashima and Kyoto finished goalless uh, to nobody's surprise. But uh, at uh, Mitsuzawa, uh, Yokohama FC and Gamba Osaka played an, an entirely different type of uh, nil-nil. This was um, looked a terrific game, and it's just a shame, um, I guess, that it wasn't lit up with uh, with any goals and that uh yeah the the the, the teams were uh, forced to share the spoils with uh, no goals to speak of but uh, yeah a very entertaining end-to-end game and um yeah one that you left uh, scratching your head that it's ended up goalless yeah i have no idea how it ended up goalless it was a great nil nil really and at the end of it i think i tweeted that i thought yokohama uh, c must be furious that they haven't won this game but then thinking back and looking back on the game because they did end it really well but Gamber had so many chances as well so both teams will think uh, points have been left on the table I thought yeah end-to-end stuff both goalkeepers played really well the save from Broderson to deny Jabali with that really clever free kick uh, corner kick routine that was magnificent uh, Higashiguchi made several saves at the other end as well maybe the finishing is a little bit off but I mean, Yokohama FC got a bit of poor fortune, which Gamble would say is absolutely deserved, though, given the way it went in the previous game between the two. But yeah, a couple of times they hit the post, so I think uh, they've maybe got it back to arrears of maybe one or two strikes um, off <laughs> the woodwork right, after yeah. that first one. But yeah, it was just, I have no idea how this was nil nil. Both teams, yeah, will come away disappointed, but also quite fortunate that they uh, uh, kept the point. Yeah, really good game and the polar opposite from whatever Kashima Kyoto was. Yeah, all right then. So uh, Gumba's uh, winning streak comes to an end uh, at uh, four games. But uh, yes, their uh, unbeaten run continues while the Yokohama FC get another point under their belts as they uh, edge uh, slightly away from uh, both uh, Raysol and Shonan below them. But uh, yeah, as you say, uh, uh, Yokohama FC hitting the woodwork a couple of times, but uh, yeah, I think still uh, in the uh, in the black or in the red, whichever is the uh, the, the negative one, because yeah, as you say, Sam, in the reverse fixture, Gumba, um, yes, yeah, certainly gave the the woodwork a, a very good working out, no question about that. But uh, Sven Brodersen and uh, Masaki Higashiguchi proved, uh, yeah, Two tough nuts to crack at uh, either end of the pitch. And uh, as we say, this game ended goalless be, uh, despite uh, yeah, a number of chances and uh, a really entertaining game uh, at uh, Mitsuzawa. All right, then. So that's uh, match day 19 rounded up then, uh, listeners. And uh, we'll look ahead before we finish this episode to uh, the, uh, the the match day 20 slate that uh, gets going on Friday night with the uh, Niigata hosting Kobe at the Big Swan on Friday Night Football. And then we have the other eight games all taking place on Saturday night, uh, beginning at 6 o'clock and uh, going right through to the last game, Tosu Cerezo, uh, that uh, kicks off at 7.30. And uh, Sam, yes, well, we've basically teased it earlier on. There's a battle at the bottom. There's a battle at the top. What is Sam's pick of the weekend? Sam's pick of the weekend. 
well, you know I love a relegation dogfight, so I'm definitely going to the bottom and race Sol versus uh, Belmare. I think this is a crucial game for both teams. You don't want to you don't want to be on the losing end. Obviously, you'll be bottom. Uh, whoever loses is going to be bottom of the league. I think this is a crucial one for showing on the first one without match. You know, can they still can, can um, score goals? This is probably a nice defense to play against, especially if they keep making stupid selections at the back. But yeah, and it's another one for Raysol who. Um, for some reason, with all their attacking talent, uh, I've got the second worst attack in the league. And do you think Shonan are conceding goals for fun? So this is one that both teams will eye up as a massive game, one that they have to win, one that they should win. I think this could go a long way to deciding who's going to be at the bottom of the league and relegated at the end of this season. I think it's a, as, it's a huge six-pointer. So, yeah, that's my one. I'm sorry if I've stolen the one away from you, but, yeah, I can imagine where you're going. Yeah, well, you've made my choice easy. I, w- I would have taken that if you didn't. But yes, uh, the the battle at uh, the top of the table now with, the as we said, Kobe slipping to third. That means that Nagoya hosting Yokohama F. Marinos is second hosting top. Uh, the reverse fixture back at the end of April finished uh, 1-1 at the Nissan Stadium. And um, yeah, both sides obviously coming in to this one in uh, in very good form. Of course, Grampus had lost uh, the, the game before the, this past weekend away at FC Tokyo, but before that, we're on a, a long winning streak. So uh, their recent form is good, despite that one blip. And uh, yes, they will uh, welcome the leaders and um, yeah, look to make a bit of a statement, I think, in their season. For, uh, for F. Marinos, as we said, on the back of six straight victories, um, yeah, Kevin Muscat will uh, will look to uh, really make a statement here because uh, obviously it goes without saying, already four points ahead of Nagoya. If they can win this one away at the Toyota Stadium, then that will uh, create a sizable gap. And um, who knows? I mean, yeah, Niigata might even do them a favour on Friday night and um, there could be proper daylight between F. Marinos and the rest of the field. If uh, if Albuidex can take anything from Kobe on Friday night and then uh, F. Marinos um, by hook or by crook, however they do it, if they can return from Nagoya with all three points, then um, we could be looking at a very sizable advantage for the defending champions come the end of the round on Saturday night. So, uh, yes, huge ones at either end of the table. Um, from a Tokyo perspective, uh, Peter Komoski has a, a huge test on his hands as he takes his uh, Tokyo side uh, up to Urawa, uh, up to Saitama Stadium to face Reds. And, um, yeah, there's a Kanagawa derby just for a change with uh, with Kawasaki hosting Yokohama FC. A Kansai derby, Sam, as well. Gumba hosting Kyoto, both of those two on uh, good unbeaten runs. So that should be uh, entertaining as well. And, uh, well, we often praise Fukuoka's um, resilient defence. That will get a stern test when uh, Consadole head to the best Denki Stadium. So, yeah, we're chock full of uh, really entertaining-looking games on the slate this coming weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I think that first game, the Niigata-Kobe one, is a really interesting one. If Niigata can continue playing as they did against Hiroshima, and there's pressure on Kobe, obviously, dropping points this weekend, and as you mentioned, uh, the chance for that gap to get really big at the top of the tail, I think that's a really interesting one. It's a real test of uh, Kobe's metal. So, yeah, good way to start the weekend, and then yeah, Saturday looks like a bumper edition, as it always does. 
Yeah, most definitely. I think we probably could mention every game, so I, I might as well. Uh, I mean, Hiroshima, Kashima is, um, yeah, to, a battle of two teams coming off dif- disappointing uh, performances uh, this past weekend. Indeed, as we said, for Hiroshima, the, the last few weeks have been uh, uh, really poor, and they're next to each other on the table uh, together on 29 points. So if one of those is going to try and um, yeah push for an ACL spot, then a, a victory in a game like that is uh, is totally necessary so there'll be a lot riding on that one as well and as i mentioned yeah tosu cerezo finishes us off uh kicking off at 7 30 all right so yeah should be a huge match day um the iniesta era has uh, come to an end sam he was given a a, a, a terrific send-off at the Novir stadium uh, great to hear from alan who was uh, there of course and uh, to get his thoughts on the era as a whole and um yeah we move on then to um yeah what as we've just outlined looks like a a terrific round of fixtures and um yeah as i said earlier it'll be my last uh, podcast for five or six weeks or so before i take my kids back to uh, australia so yeah we'll have some more news next week on what's going to be happening uh with the big pod um while i'm out of the picture and then you will be for a period of time as well but um yeah we can cross that bridge when we come to it and uh, yeah look forward to reviewing what should be a, a huge round of games with you on next week's episode yeah it's gonna be a strange summer for the podcast but hopefully we can go uh, you can go out with a bang next week with a fantastic uh, set of fixtures Indeed. All right, then, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank Alan Gibson very much for his time in part one of this week's episode. We'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 20. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.